Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is episode 24, 24 out of 24. This is the last episode of season one. I hope you've enjoyed the seasons. Uh, I have definitely saved the best for last. And um, hopefully when we get into this interview, we can do a little bit of a review of Forward KC as well, because uh, it's an event that people are still talking about weeks later which means it probably had a pretty good impact on people's lives. My guest for the final episode of season one is going to be uh, Dr. Todd Riddle, DC. He is, uh, what, are you, what are you doing now? Are you owning factor, teaching factor, you are factor. No, no. Um, I, I am part of factor. I'm part uh, of factor. Part of, yeah. I'm an instructor for factor. Uh, my wife owns 50% of it. She, had the, the fortunate ability to um, partner up with Dr. Tom Hyde and eventually buy his portion of factors. So she is, she is the boss as it were. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just her minion doing her bidding. Good. That's yeah. usually happy wife, happy life. That's usually Man, how it works, works out. out. Great for me. <laughs> um, I remember when uh, Dr. Hyde, he came to Western States chiropractic college and I don't think factor was a thing yet, or maybe it just launched. And he just showed up to the school and was like, I've got this idea and this is kind of how we approach treating people. And we think it's a thing that might work and try it out as students and see what you do. So I've, I've always had pieces of quote unquote factor in my, um, in my treatment protocols and regimens yeah. from the beginning, but not in, 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 not in the organized sense as when I retook the actual factor course yeah. and saw all the pieces put into play and go, Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so they've been doing some work over this decade or so, you know. Yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of weird how that worked. You know, Tom and and the other co-founder Greg Dor, they just they they kind of see the matrix. You know, they're they're definitely. I don't I don't like the word guru. I think that's got negative connotations. But yeah, those those guys just get it. And when they were both instructing for grass, and they just kind of started fiddling around with it and found out when you start adding movement to stuff, people get better and. You know, now it's kind of common sense to us, but back then it was just kind of, hey, like you said, let's let's play around with this a little bit and see what happens. And it just turned into this formal thing. And as good things should, they just kind of continue to evolve. And that's my big component of what we do with factors to try to sort out and fish out the, the newest and the best stuff out there that can plug into uh, our factor system. How flexible is the system? Are you able to change on the fly? Does it take a while to sort of figure out? No, that's and that's what we've we've really kind of tried to focus on. I don't want this to be something where somebody has to go take five or six other classes in order to figure out what they want to go into the system. You're supposed to come into it with what you've already got. So if you're already using instruments, great. If you've taken a Graston course or one of the other ones, great. Uh, if you've taken ART, if you've taken uh, a stretching course, AIS, you know, something that uh, is soft tissue related, plug that in and then do the best that you can to add movement to that. So it, it's supposed to be malleable. I think if you're, if you're having a hard time with it, 
it's because you're overcomplicating it. You basically take your soft tissue, you add movement to it. Once you've cleared up the things that you're looking at, then you move on into the exercise component of it. So it, it really is supposed to lay out a step-by-step -step approach of how to take somebody from, man, it hurts when I do this, to, hey, I think you're great. Let's run you through a quick outcomes assessment. And if everything looks good there, we'll see you next time you have a problem. Um, and that's not your only job either, is it? <laughs> no, that's one of, one of many. Uh, aside from running a household of four, and as I know, you, you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, you've yeah. got five, right? <laughs> yeah, we have a household of five, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's, that's a full-time job in and of itself. But then I also work as a, um, an assistant professor at Texas Chiropractic College uh, teaching rehab, uh, soft tissue, and orthopedic testing there as well. Uh, in, in those two different worlds, so one world is we can admit rigid, yes. Yes. The other world has its other problems on the other side of the table in that there isn't enough, um, I don't even want to use the word regulation, just the CE world the one, the, is the world I'm talking about. The continued yeah. education world is one that doesn't have much structure. Structure is yeah. maybe the right word. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it is definitely a, a, a just a, a lump of clay. I mean, sometimes, you know, doing the Forward KC event and then seeing what kind of hours we'd get for continued education based on the speakers we had. Yeah. And then I would look over at like another, you know, we don't want to name any other continued education providers, but there's, there, you know, another provider that's providing complete nonsense and they're getting like double the hours, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would kind of say that the CE per the, the CE and I call it a profession now. The CE profession is kind of reflective of chiropractic. It's just kind of all over the place. It's all over the board. And <clears throat> aside from the the programs that are accrediting CE, which really aren't even doing a, a great job at that, um, there's really no policing going on. So you can have somebody that's showing how to do adjustments to uh, free up innate intelligence by wiggling the big toe to these big grand rehab systems that, um, you know, are, are claiming to be the only thing to get rid of specific conditions. I mean, there's, there's sincerely a lack of definitely at least evidence, um, if for nothing else, and I think a, a pretty significant lack of ethics as well. So, you know, you've got that CE side that I think is very loud, and then you've got the other side of education, which we all went through, which sometimes they don't feel as loud enough. And as you said, it's kind of rigid and, and I don't want to say overregulated because I think regulation is, is important. It's just, it's not very malleable. Well, it's a big ship. It's hard to, it's hard to steer it a is. big ship. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I forget who we were, I think it was Howard Fiddler. We were having this conversation with, you know, the, the hierarchies of the political system of chiropractic. Yeah. You know, it's hard for somebody who's a, a real doer to just step in and start doing and having great ideas because somebody from higher up the hierarchy is going to be like, whoa, 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 just wait your turn. Slow down. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, mm -hmm. we've seen that in, in several colleges, you know, and not to go into name names, but we, we've seen a lot of really go-getters go into situations and we are like, wow, this is really going to be great. And they get stuck in quicksand, you know, they're, they're still <laughs> fighting their way through, but they, they get slowed down or stuck in some instances. So yeah, that's exactly right. Um, in the CE world, uh, it, it's easy to get stuck too because you do, like you said, factor is sort of set to be 
bring what, you know, it's BYOK, bring your own knowledge. Yeah. And we're going to apply to it and you're not going to need to take 20 different levels uh, to apply. And that seems to be one of the frustrating things with continuing education as well. It's like, okay, you've taken level A or one or whatever. Now it's time to go to level two and then level three and, oh, you're only a level four provider. And <laughs> and um, people get caught up in, in systems as well. And then what, what we tend to find on the other side of the fence, which is the people who, who deal with patients, is that these young doctors, they get caught up in the system. It's in the in the application of a certain technique right. versus the outcome of what happens with the patient. You know, they become right. very technique heavy and then they're not as uh, proficient in actually getting results. That's exactly right. And that was and I, uh, one of the big takeaways I had, and I absolutely agree with it because I see it every day when I teach, is you've got students and docs that are amassing techniques. I mean, they're literally collecting them like, like, uh, uh, baseball cards, right? They don't know what to do with it once they've gotten it. So they've got all these letters behind their names. Some mean something, some, you know, have, have a lack of meaning, but once they've got all these things, now it's like, okay, you've got all this, get them better. And it's basically paralysis by analysis, analyzing what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to use? And they get stuck. So my goal, whether it's in continuing education or, professionally at the school my my goal is to kind of try to turn down the volume a little bit cut away a lot of the stuff and say look let's get back to basics okay here's here's an assessment let's use this assessment to identify what's wrong keeping in mind that there are going to be a lot of different facets to uh, what a patient presents with it's not just pathoanatomical you're dealing with a living being that's that's sentient they have a brain so you're dealing with their brain too, and you're dealing with their experiences. So it's not just show up, do a couple of squats. Oh, wow, it's your right glute med. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole person we're supposed to be taking a look at. I think so much of that gets lost. So I'm on a mission and I'm still figuring out every day how to, you know, get through some of that noise to help people get people better by, by you know, trimming away some of the fat, if you will. I think if you look at the FTCA Facebook group and any problem that anyone's ever had in there, the large majority come from come from when you see somebody who has a one way of doing things and think it's the only way of doing it. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it doesn't mean, matter what one thing it is. I mean, that's always been sort of levied on the straight chiropractors. Oh, they only have one way of doing it and they think that's the total answer. Uh, well, guess what, smart guy? You have only one <laughs> way of doing it, whether it's like, uh, you know, like a McKinsey or a DNS or whatever your, the acronyms are. Yeah. Like you also only have one way of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the true forward thinking chiropractor would, would have multiple ways of approaching these things to get to the goal and also respect those biopsychosocial aspects uh, yeah, of that's, caring for a patient, you know? That's exactly right. And, and, you know, and that's not to knock any specific group with their techniques. I mean, we, we need those. Right. But I, and I think it was one of the earlier podcasts, and I don't recall exactly who said it, but, you know, if you've got this one thing that you hold on to, and I took that thing away, what do you have left? That's how are you going to work on that page? Somebody said that on my podcast? Uh, yeah, I think, well, if they didn't, take credit so. for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said it. No, um, what we're going to do, just to interject quickly, so like I said before, this is the last uh, episode of the, of the season, Yeah, is I have... Uh, uh, an assistant and I'm paying her to transcribe all of these podcasts. And then I'm sure. going to take all the little nuggets out of each episode and compile them into one 
thing, like an ebook Master or catalog. something. Yeah, yeah, of season one and, and do that for each season so that people don't miss the little nuggets that were said along the way. Yeah. <laughs> like I have. <laughs> but that was a big take home for me. I mean, there were so many, um, you know, Stu, you know, talking about questioning his own biases and never really settling into one thing, but constantly looking to see if there's some better way to assess, some better way to to work on something, you know, it's, that was very impressive to me. And I, I think about that all the time. Like if you took instruments, you know, s- steel instruments away from me, what would I have left? And I go, Oh, I've got this whole other arsenal of things that I can use. Right. But if, you know, instruments are your only thing and you're constantly going back to that and they're not there, then I, I just don't know how valuable that is. You know, it's, it, I mean, I think that's probably going to be one of the bigger takeaway points of this to get people to think, even if someone said it in some other podcast, the, yeah. the fact that it's reiterated yes. is like, uh, really, I mean, if you want to strip a chiropractor down, it's hands and brain, heart, hands and brain, heart, hands and mind. <laughs> but um, we've got so many wonderful things now that can help enhance uh, what we do. You know, Jason Holm using video in his yeah. assessments. And, uh, you know, factor and using instrument assisted uh, soft tissue modalities and, and cupping. And there are some chiropractors that are using dry needling as a great resource. You know, that's, that's not a problem. It's just like, like we've already said, when and how and where are the best times and practices for doing such a thing. And I think there's a whole system that fits into it. I mean, you take, you can take Brandon Steele's Cairo Up program. And you can use the protocols within there, um, you, you know, uh, for best practices, you can assess and reassess how good you are at a certain condition. Uh, hopefully at some point you can also assess and reassess how good the guy down the street is at, with the same condition and maybe work out a referral relationship. Right. Um, or God forbid you just go have a beer with the guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're allowed to be friends with other Kairos? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Exactly. Um, it's just like, obviously, you've got to have a system for assessment, and that system for assessment has got to be, there are absolute, uh, undeniable, standardized parts of that assessment, you know, your ortho, neuro, yeah. and all those sort of workups. And then you've got to have your ass- assessment system for trying to figure out what's going on. And um, that's the hard part, because most people get their assessment system from the CE that they purchase. Correct. You know, like if you're doing XYZ technique, you're going to use the XYZ technique assessment system. Right. And it's not as globalized to, to miss or to catch or to consider other things or to be agnostic in the process. And, that, and that's the crazy part to me is so many people paid so much money to go to chiropractic school only to forget the things that they paid for. Like they forget right. to do neuro exams. They forget. I can't tell you how many seasoned field docs I've run into that don't know how to do basic orthos for cervical radiculopathy or um, rotator cuff. I, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It, it blows my mind. And now they're paying all this money to go learn some other XYZ system. And guess what? It's there too. So that's kind of what we do with with Factor is I, I take them back to basics. You know, we reiterate the neuros. We don't go over them. Uh, I talk about uh, orthopedic clusters. I talk about movement screens. Uh, you know, I talk about Liebenson stuff and Yonda stuff. There's plenty of things that we have learned through school that now you're having to come to me or somebody else to remind you that, look, man, you, you learned all that stuff already. Why, why aren't you using it? And I think that's really where we're, we're, we're falling apart is our assessment, 
needs to be brought back around and then finally making a good diagnosis. And again, Greg Rose really drove that home. If you can't diagnose, you're not going to be treating the right stuff. So that's, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best compliments I ever had I, uh, for a, a long time in my career, I was a partner with an MD, um, Gary Forsman, MD in Arroyo Grande, California, a great physician, a functional medicine type physician, um, internal medicine specialist. And he would defer so much to me and the patients would be like, why, why a chiropractor? Why not you? You're the, you're the MD, you're friends with Deepak Chopra or whatever it was. <laughs> and he, uh, he said, well, you know, that guy is one of the best diagnosticians I've ever seen. And there I was like, is. wow, that's pretty cool. That you is know? really cool. You know, and of course, you know, that was his sense. But if you wanted to complete that sense, it was in, you know, neuromusculoskeletal stuff, but I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Chalk one and, up. <laughs> um, and, and Greg is true. If you weren't at forward KC, what Greg was saying is like, all right, you've got an option. You have to have knee surgery and your two choices. And he's used this in other lectures before too, is you've got choice one, which is this doctor over here is a complete jerk. He's an absolute asshole. Um, but he nails the diagnosis and he nails the treatment every time. Or you have option B, the other surgeon is the nicest guy in the world. Uh, he'll treat you like an, uh, a king or a queen, eh, but his diagnosis and his treatment are, eh. so which one are you going to choose? And then uh, he doesn't waste any time. You know, you're going to choose the one who's going to do the best job. Correct. And, um, you know, the way he was sort of referring to that is when it, when it comes to the evidence-based approach, you know, and you want like, whatever you want to call it, results versus care or attention, you know, always, even though it's a three-legged stool, the evidence-based approach between patient preference and the relative evidence and clinical skill, you're always going to sort of, the patient's going to choose the skill first. And, Correct. And so you yeah. want to nail that down first. If you, if you don't have that, but you're a nice person or you know all the facts in the world, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. And, and you know, the patient. He, yeah, and he was very quick to say, you know, that doesn't give you the right to be an uh, be an asshole, right? right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, well, if, if well, I'm an asshole. There's no doubt about that. So, <laughs> but what you don't want to be is an be be as uh, an asshole that gets it wrong all the time, you right. know, because then then you're just you're dead in the water. Or you don't want to be an asshole to the patients. Correct. Correct. They're they're sweet people. They don't deserve any of that. <laughs> um, do you do you get much clinical time as well? So yeah, it's it was kind of a weird thing. I was. Um, in private practice when I was in South Carolina before I moved out here to Texas. And immediately when I got to Texas, uh, started my teaching gig, but then also started working over in the, the clinic. So most of my clinical time, and it was right in my wheelhouse, I, I was doing a little bit of uh, what I was trying to differentiate as chiropractic patient care, where I was doing the assessments, the workups, you know, the intake, all that stuff. But we started to identify a need for somebody to really take students and patients um, through the rehab paces. So it kind of shifted from being a clinician working with patients in a room to a clinician working with patients and students uh, to develop rehab programs. So clinically, it was, it was a lot of fun for me because I could focus solely on the rehab part and leave the chiropractic side, the adjustments and, and whatnot to uh, another clinician. So it was, in a way, kind of intradisciplinary. It was kind of nice because you could work with other people um, so a lot of my time uh, was spent in a rehab room, really getting to, to hone in on, on students. So that was kind of cool. You just identified another problem for me. So, so we were talking off the air about the, the, the 
sort of like the FTCA diamond approach. The first thing you yeah. need is a good assessment system. Um, probably one that's, that follows McGill's idea of being agnostic in its approach. Yeah. And you have to be able to assess uh, from, a, from an open-minded perspective. And then you can apply your therapies or your interventions in a way that is structured to your liking, I guess you could say. Correct. And we would hope that it wouldn't be uh, multi, it wouldn't be uh, singular mo modulated to one sort of approach. It would be multi-modular. Right. Including rehabilitation, soft tissue work, adjustments and everything and, and uh, rolled out in an appropriate manner. And then the bottom of this sort of two dimensional diamond would be a reassessment or, yes. or, or a, a test assess treat and then reassess that's the, that's the key here's right one of the problems okay so the top of that diamond is we need to assess people mm -hmm. so a young student comes in says dr riddle mm -hmm. i heard on the podcast that i need to be really good at assessing <laughs> what after i graduate and all this stuff what course do i take to be good at assessing yeah yeah and that's no, nah, there isn't an assessment course. You have to exactly. <laughs> you have to look you, like you have to investigate all that yourself. You have to be a wanderer, yes, a sojourner into all these different things. Yeah, there you go. And a, um, a journeyman. <laughs> yeah, and that's a that that might be a problem, or it might be just the way it is. I don't know if it's a problem, but I mean, how you wouldn't even be able to. Te okay, so come to my assessment course. Yeah, so I think, oddly enough, it's funny that you talk about that. that that's going to go on my list now. I think that there is a need for an assessment course, but I, this goes back to a comment I made it a minute ago was, look, you learned how to assess in chiropractic school. Right. What you're not exactly. doing is, is trusting your training. That's right. Nope, that's I say, true. I say this all the time. You know, use the force. And you were taught the force and how to harness the force in chiropractic school, but they, they just don't trust it. Right. Um, whether it's because they're jaded by an instructor or they just didn't feel like it worked for them. I don't know what they were looking for, but the, the assessment, I, I have a standard operating procedure, you know, and uh, whether you follow, you know, there's a lot of acronyms out there. There's the hippie Ronell and there's, there's a lot of different ones, but I'm, I'm pretty locked in on going through inspection, palpation, percussion, instrumentation, range of motion, ortho, neuro, um, you know, and all that stuff as it goes down the line, I mean, I, you have to have a standard operating procedure because without that, you're just a rudderless ship and you're again, feeling around yeah. in the dark. So I think you start there, get good at doing orthos, get good at doing neuros. And, and I have to say that kind of tongue in cheek. I do te uh, teach orthopedic um, testing, knowing full well that there's a vast majority of those orthopedic tests that are basically worthless, but then you take them and cluster some of them together and Again, you mentioned Cairo Up. They've done a very nice job of, of kind of screening that stuff and filtering it down so you can take those and, and cluster them to get better uh, information. So I always say get better at those first. <clears throat> and then when you want to start tacking on other things like movement screens and, um, you know, other assessment systems, then that's fine. Go do that. The unfortunate nature here is that while they're in school, and I'm not knocking taking C in school, I'm all for it. I think they just overconsume. They become gluttonous with C while they're right. in school. And no, they absolutely. Have no idea what to do with it. Absolutely. It kind of pushes out a lot of the other things that are being taught, and they get so consumed with, well, now which one do I use? Do I use, um, you know, the FMS? Do I use FS, uh, SFMA? Do I do I do a neuro screen? I, I, man, man, what do I do now? So. <laughs> It it also shapes their identity too. They'll they'll be like, I'm a X Y Z person. Exactly. You know, and I go to the X Y Z club. 
and I'm the XYZ vice president. And it, it shapes their identity and then um, it, it can start to close their minds off too. Yeah. Like, I'm all, like the colleges will, in college leadership will mention things like academic freedom, which I do think I support academic freedom. Sure. Um, it, and I don't know what the impetus is, like their version of academic freedom is let's just let anything happen and you guys get to pick. Yeah, that's, that's rough. And it's like, that's not, I don't know if that's truly the definition of academic freedom. Like, I think you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> it's very Princess Bride. <laughs> it's like, we got to rein it in a little bit and then say, okay, so, all right. All right, students. There's probably like a bridge class. Maybe there's a special instructor at each college. And we're like, okay, so the first two years, you've got to learn some rigid stuff and you've got to regurgitate it just like any other university situation. Yeah. Basic sciences. First year and a half, two years, go. Biochemistry, anatomy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Genetics and all that. All right. So then you got to take like a bridge class where somebody sits everybody down and says, okay, so all that stuff you just learned, you own it now. Yep. You did the work. Now things change because now you have to start thinking for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so this is our bridge class to teach you some critical thinking skills, how to analyze evidence, information, how to choose the best things for you to become a good critical thinker. Because from here on out, you're going to be thinking for yourself. You're going to have to investigate for yourself and you're going to be sold a lot of stuff. Yeah. So like first two years, no clubs, kids. Sorry, kids. First two years, no clubs, no continuing education, none of that stuff. And I, I think Western States was kind of like that, but on the down low. Like Western States was always like, you will never, people from off campus don't come here. Right. Like we, we, we produce critical thinkers. And so uh, what they really produced there when I went there were skeptics. <laughs> <laughs> like we didn't, anyone who came from off campus, we were immediately like hackles up. What are you doing here? Yeah. Right. Um, Take your pizza away. <laughs> they did things like, you know, there are some companies that go around and teach you how to pass your boards. They don't come to Western States. Right. You won't need them. And that, right. was a, that was a good selling point. And, you know, there, I think there are some schools that still do that. Um, again, I don't, I'm not singling anybody out, but it, it would take a pretty big set of brass balls to, to tell students, look, for the first two years, you're going to focus. We're not going to allow you to, you know, go outside of the box for, the, yeah. for that time. Hey, you know what? There's, some of these schools need some brass balls. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I, I am 100% behind you. Hey, I'm all for having a, uh, an entrance exam to get into chiropractic school. Yeah. But who's going to be the first one to step up and do it and then see who follows suit? So, I mean, that, that's a whole yeah, other going to start denying people admission, right? Exactly. So, it's um, – yeah, I, I, I think that that is probably a good way to go about it so that they can really get the fundamentals locked in before they start confusing themselves with, with all of this other stuff. So, um, yeah, I would love to see that happen. I just kudos to the schools that are doing it. Um, you know, a lot of this conversation has been about changing the atmosphere around yeah. how we learn, what we learn, uh, yeah. because there's so much to learn, but there also isn't, I think that's another theme uh, <laughs> to this. Like you, there isn't a lot to learn. No. There's just a lot to being really good at it. And in, um, this is a profession, you have to throw everything you got into it unless you have four or five kids. And then it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully you threw everything you got into it before the four. Before or five that happened. <laughs> you know? um, 
and then you've got to be, I think this, this theme of, be, of agnosticism, of critical thinking, has got to be essential. It, it's the ring that this diamond approach sits on. Yeah. Like you've got to be willing to change your, your approach up. You've got to be willing to listen to new ideas. Um, and then you've got to be willing to change things on the fly. So having a lock and load interchangeable system, you know, like replaceable parts, revolutionize the world when you can take a firearm you know they used to build firearms like muskets like out of solid materials you know and cars were made out of solid materials and buildings and all that and you you built an engineering system of replaceable parts where you don't have to throw the whole thing away right you just take one part out and put another part in i think if chiropractic had this replaceable parts approach we're like i think my assessment system is really solid but my soft tissue skills are piss poor. What sort of part can I use to replace and then put in there? Exactly. But we That's do exactly. know that you have to have a, a strong assessment. You have to be able to diagnose. Um, I think, I mean, most people might, argue, a lot of people might argue you don't have to have soft tissue skills, but from my personal experience as a clinician, if you're not learning something with the soft tissue these days, you are way behind. And there's probably tons of people in your town that are kicking your ass. <laughs> yeah, and, and I wouldn't disagree with that statement. Uh, I think there's a time and a place for it. Again, if that's the thing you're defaulting to every single time, if you're putting a thumb or an elbow into somebody and stretching them out while you're grinding on that soft tissue every single time, right? I, I would question the necessity of it. Or if you're getting your instruments out, you're scraping the hell out of somebody every single time, I would question the utility of that and, and how you came to those conclusions. So I, you, you keep using a word that to me is so important, which is critical thinking. And again, I'm not knocking any, any person or group or, or population in particular, but I, I just see a significant lack of it. You know, I don't yeah. see, people, yeah, yeah. you know, taking the information, appraising it critically and then making a good educated uh, guess based on that. It's, well, I've got all this and I don't have any clue what it means. So I'm just going to throw some instruments and an adjustment at it and see what falls to the floor. And right. And if you just start, if you have what they call certainty, like the certainty, the, the adjustments, the only thing anyone needs, then that's, I guess that's where you end up at. Yeah, that's exactly. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not critical of people anymore to a certain extent. Yeah. Like, especially the more I've hung, hang out with students and older docs and, and everybody in between. It's like, I, I look at people now and if they don't have the skills that they should have or whatnot, I just think, you know what, they're just on a different, they're not at that level yet. Yeah. Maybe they're somewhere in the process. Yeah. Now, where we sort of draw the line, like in the FTCA is where you look at somebody, you know, that person damn well should have known better. <laughs> and like they, they, there is a process, but they're not even in the process. They just made up their mind and then closed it. They've closed the door. That's right. And, and those are the people you kind of give up on. But I think everybody is on some sort of process, like if they're, if it's their clinical skills or their emotional skills or whatever, they're, if they're, at least if they're coachable and then have, like we said, the critical thinking skills, mm -hmm. then they're just on a process and you don't have to knock somebody. And, and we, we see that a lot in the Facebook groups and stuff like that is like somebody will bring up whatever, let's go with uh EFG technique and EFG technique is complete crap, but that's the thing that they sort of latched onto early on in their journey. Right. And everyone else is like, Oh my God, you can't do that. That's such nonsense. Well, don't beat the guy up, teach right. him, you know, teach him. Maybe he's somewhere on the process. Now, if that guy responds with like, 
you know, EFG is everything to the world and you guys are all morons and this is, this isn't very forward thinking, then, then he's got to go. But if, if somebody's on a journey, uh, help them along on the journey and be positive or constructive, be constructive. You don't always have to be positive. I'm certainly not always positive, but at least be constructive or, but if, if they're not getting it, then don't waste your energy. Well, and see, I think that's the most important part is we stop or we fail to, to take into account the person right. that is, is doing this thing. You know, a lot of times, and I, I think we're all guilty of this in some way, shape or form, especially early on in our career, is we attached to something and that something, whether you called yourself a chiropractor and that meant that all you did was adjust and you attached yourself to that thing. Uh, it could be instruments, it could be co- whatever it is. You attach yourself to that thing, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes out and says, well, by the way, research has proven that to be bull. Where does that leave you? You know, yeah. Because now that was part of your identity. Like, man, I was this person. This is what I did. And now you're telling me that's all bullshit? Well, now where do I go? So I, I think we need to do a better job of supporting each other in that transition. That if you've got somebody that is only adjusting, even though I think collectively we all agree that that's probably ne- – well, it's not the best way to go about providing um, healthcare as a chiropractor that you support them in their decisions to do that, but that doesn't exonerate you from the liability of at least making the, the information available. Say, look, I'm not going to try to sit here and tell you that you shouldn't be doing that. What I am going to say is when you're ready to have that conversation, come talk. Yeah. Well, this, this brings up the 500 pound gorilla or elephant or whatever it is. What is the animal? Is it a gorilla or an elephant? It's that a, it's that a, thing hiding in the corner over there. It's a gorillaphant. <laughs> it, <laughs> it brings up that animal in the corner that's been hiding, and it's a big one. It's called the word subluxation. Yeah. And it's like there are there are people who use that term as a, a physiological identifier, and then there are people like you've said who use that as their whole identity. Yeah. And, yeah. and there are some people where you can sort of have a conversation with them. And then there are some people who are like, my whole identity and being and worth is locked into this word. And I'm going to justify every single thing I do based on my, my certainty in that word. And you're not going to get anywhere with them because it's an ideology at that point. And my, my uh, tend has always been if you can't argue with people on their ideologies no, or, their, you can't. or their religious beliefs, which is an ideology. It's almost but, the same. But once you get down to the level of an ideology, you need to stop arguing immediately because you're really, you're really wasting your time and you're not going to get anywhere. That's exactly right. And, and being trained in the, the subluxation school of thought, uh, and again, having the ability to critically think, I was able to jettison that pretty quickly so that I could move on to, all right, maybe that's not the term I should be using but maybe there's something there to it. We, maybe we shouldn't call it that because we can't prove that, but there may be something there that I can use like segmental dysfunction or a fixation that I am going to address that isn't going to do all of that ethereal stuff that we keep trying to staple to it. Yeah. It's like a balancing act because the opposite, right? So, yeah. so many people are so afraid of uh, subluxation mythology or the idea of the power of the adjustment that they've completely abandoned that tool as a really, really awesome tool to use in practice. Yeah, And, and exactly what I got right. in Forward KC a lot is like, we've got a problem. People really suck at adjusting now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the absolute that, truth. You know, and it's like, if you've got a tool, you've got to be really good at it. 
and and for me especially working in professional education it's kind of a it, it's a weird thing because you know for the first part of the profession we were all about adjust 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 and now we've kind of swung to some extent in the opposite direction and it's exercise 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 and we've kind of lost that that hands-on tactile ability and i would absolutely agree with that statement that we've got a lot of folks coming out that are either not good at it or they're just afraid to do it but either way it doesn't do any service to the patients that are receiving it so yeah. i think obviously there there needs to be a uh, a reckoning there and if we come back a little more midline or however that that needs to happen i used to do a ton of adjusting when i first got into practice and then realized you know there isn't always a time for this that i that i can probably dial this back and replace it again being a bit more agnostic about my approach and say there might be something better to plug in here it was my own bias that i felt like everybody just needed to be adjusted because that's what i was taught and then as i time went on and i realized wow they're probably something better I could do here. I think, start figuring it yeah. Out. yeah, I think sensitive, intuitive individuals, professionals, and yeah. what I mean by professionals, you take your job really seriously. And I, it's just like, um, there was this one time I tried stand-up comedy. So yeah. nice. I, had some, I had some friends that uh, we were doing a podcast together. And one of them was, uh, was a good friend named Dan Liddell. He's Chuck Liddell's brother. And um, me and Dan and, the, and this uh, other guy who was actually the star of the show, Jason, Jason O'Hagan, we had this comedy podcast for a while. And um, one of the guys, one of the guests on the show was like, you should come to this open mic night. And Jason and Dan were like, no, no way. I, I'm not doing it. I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> and I go up there and I do stand-up comedy, like maybe five minutes. It wasn't a whole lot and did really good. Like people were laughing and they enjoyed it and came up to me afterwards and they're like, good job. That was really good. Yeah. I was like, Oh, Hey, maybe like a little fun side hobby would be to do some stand-up comedy. And he's like, do you want to come next week? Like, yeah. I got another gig next week, you know, and uh, spent that whole week writing jokes and, practicing <laughs> and doing the things, got up on the stage, did my thing. And it was just crickets. It was a complete bomb session. Oh. And it was like, it was like your gut just, bottoms out on you and you're like yep. you hate yourself you're like i'm never doing this again and oh what a horrible feeling if you're in like a, a treatment situation with a patient and you get that feeling you've got to listen to that feeling and go oh, oh, yeah. oh i bombed here somewhere so where was the in the stand-up comedy analogy what where did the joke go wrong because i thought it was funny <laughs> right. exactly you know and I, I told it to my dog and he sort of laughed you know mm -hmm. i think i'm not sure what that was and it's like, okay, so I'm in this treatment situation with a patient and I'm going through an assessment and it doesn't feel right. Where is it wrong? Or I'm going through a treatment scenario or you're going through the reassessment. That's, that's where you do it the most is in the reassessment right. scenario. And like, I didn't get the result I thought I would. Where am I going wrong here? Right. And it's like, you gotta, if you're going to be a professional, you got to keep polishing and keep polishing and keep polishing. What I notice other people do is instead of polishing their technique to get the outcome they want, they polish how they frame the treatment so that the patient goes away not feeling like they got, they didn't get what they came for. Right. Another analogy is, and we, of course we won't say names here either, but I have a patient and she's on an insurance, but now I don't take that insurance anymore. So now she would have to pay cash and people, of course, are tremendously insurance mo motivated. So she went to another doctor down the street that I know who knows me 
in a very familiar clinic and she got the treatment from him. And, and I said, well, you know, and then, but then she came back to see me. Mm-hmm. I go, well, what are you doing back here? I don't take your insurance. You know, so I'll pay you cash. <laughs> well, what, what was the encounter like with the other doctor? Well, he was really nice. Uh, he did a lot of like, he did a lot of soft tissue work and a lot of like pinning my muscles down with his thumb and stretching me out. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of that stuff. And she said, you do some of that stuff too, but not, not nearly as much as he did. Go, okay. And then what, what after that, did he adjust you? Oh, well, you know, he checked around and then he said that my joints were fine and I didn't need to be adjusted. I go, okay, cool. And I go, so he didn't try anything else. He didn't adjust you or even try to adjust. Oh no, no, no. He tried to adjust me, but he couldn't, nothing. It didn't feel good and it, it wasn't right. So he just said, I didn't need to be adjusted. I go, okay. <laughs> okay. So then his, his framing of the fact that he couldn't adjust his way out of a wet paper bag in that scenario was instead of being like, Oh man, this kind of hurts me in my gut that I can't make this thing happen. Right. I should probably improve my technique or whatever. And and an honest person would tell the patient, huh, that didn't go right, but I know you need it. So let's find someone who can do that for you. That's the right thing to do. Right. He tried to frame the words as in like, Oh, well, you don't really need it. (laughs) (laughs) Everything seems to be working just fine. You know, but when I laid her down on the table, assessment, we've got a problem. Treatment, let's address the problem. Reassess, we fixed the problem. And part of the the treatment was adjustment. And she lit up like a Christmas tree. So obviously she needed to be adjusted and that person couldn't execute. So um, it's sort of like you see that. So in the long-term treatment plans, are long-term treatment plans justified or not? I don't know, but I don't think so. I don't, I I would agree with you on that. And it's funny. I walk around, literally walk around with the greatest sense of insecurity that there are so many other practitioners that are so much better at just about everything that that's what there's always someone better. <laughs> I, I think everybody's better. So I, that kind of drives me to go, all right, well, yeah. I've got to go improve on this. And I, you know, I, I'll ask people that I'm close to, to say, you know, how was that? You know, give yeah. me an assessment. How was that adjustment? Yeah. Or how does that feel? You know, uh, because I want that appraisal. I want to know that. What's I'm this going, pressure like? Yeah. That's exactly how does this right. feel? Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly right. And if but, you're a newbie, you should be doing that all the time. But, but the, the, it's interesting though about the newbies, we should probably address that really quick is because we're seeing a generation change, um, are, and I I don't want to, yeah, millennials, what's up? Yeah. I don't want to typecast here, but they're, they're different about the way that they want to receive criticism in that they don't want to receive criticism. Um, so that makes it a challenge again. So as a professional educator, we have to take that into account as well as in, I'm meeting the needs of the learner by meeting them where they're at. Am I giving them the information they need, delivering it the way that they need to have it delivered? Because it's not just about them. It's about who's delivering the goods. It's about who's delivering the information. And if we're well, not how, do you, up, how do you criticize someone who doesn't, want, who, who doesn't like criticism? Believe it or not, there are What's, guidelines for it. There are oh, guidelines okay. for it. Yeah, no, there are. Um, in schools, if they're not adapting to this, they're, and I'm sure they are, but if they're not adapting to this, they're going to have a hard time because they're not taking into consideration how their customers want to be taught. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a significant challenge. And again, working on both sides of the fence as, as, um, as a professor, and then also in the CE world, I have to constantly pay attention to that, you know, 
are we delivering it in the right social media content? Are we, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the right electronical, uh, the electro, uh, the right electronic mode or, you know, and then also you've got your older learners in class. They like, they, they still don't even know how to turn a computer on. Yep. So, <laughs> significant challenge. It's, um, you know, and I think people in our profession, they, they give schools such a hard time, but man, you know, after Forward KC and then visiting with Carl Cleveland III, visiting the campus, visiting the students, spending time behind the scenes in a way that I, I haven't in a long time. Like, you can't knock these schools. They're, they're working really hard right. to produce a product. And, yeah, you do. You see the, the, the outliers and some of their goofy behavior, but there's a massive. And you can go on Wikipedia and look at all the chiropractic colleges around the globe there are a massive number of people teaching chiropractic and they're all sort of in the middle doing uh, a commendable job. <laughs> it's like you can't knock these guys cause it's, it's the job that you couldn't do. That's a job I don't think I could do. I mean, right. I, I, I would, I would give a fair shot at it and I would be interested in the guidelines and how it's done the right way, of course. Right. But man, <laughs> cause yeah, it's- like even me opening up my own practice again, I've, I've outsourced everything, billing, scheduling, virtual assistance, virtual reception desk, all that stuff. And guess what you do? You lose all the older folks. Of course. Um, but if but you, you know have what I the, find is a lot of people like you and not saying you would, you wouldn't do this, but I find that in our profession, somebody that has made that leap to go entirely automated, which I think is brilliant. They'll, they're like, they'll, they'll write it up into a little ebook and say, hey, for $19.99, I'll, I'll tell you how to convert your practice so that it's entirely automated. Never have to answer your phone again. Um, yeah, and for continuing education, we'll make three, three to separate courses out of it. Exactly right, as opposed to just <laughs> turning it into a blog and say, hey, here's what I found. I lost yeah. 30% of my older patients so that we could, you know, better the profession. I just, that's, that's another one of those things. We're very predatory when it comes to our education. I would love the the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance to return to that sort of, uh, that's where it sort of started was there was a lot of like, hey, I tried this and this is what I got. Yeah. Or somebody is like, hey, I've got a problem. And then somebody else said, hey, well, why don't you try this and report back in about six weeks and see what you get. Right. Um, so well, so bring it. You're attempting to do that with your mentoring groups because you, yeah. you know, you got a lot of people on the FTCA um, Facebook page. And I, I'm sure they're all in their own way, have some kind of gift to offer, but you still need to screen the information that's coming through there. Otherwise, we're just part of the problem. We've right. got a lot of loud voices saying, hey, try this, try this, try this, as opposed to you're, you're going the right way about this, starting a mentorship program for people that you have selected or identified as, as valuable for their information. Right. There's, uh, yeah, the, the mentorship program is actually a Facebook program. So any group... Right. Uh, is a, has this mentorship thing available to them if they know how to access it. It's kind of hard to access right now. It's, I would say it's kind of almost like it's in a beta phase. Um, but the FTCA also has mastermind groups, which are completely different. Uh, right. if, if people want to be in a mastermind group, uh, they just email forwardthinkingchiro at gmail.com and we could put them in a mastermind group. But um I don't advertise that thing because people should be paying like a little bit of money to do it sure. so that they have some skin in the game because, uh, you know, if you, if it's free, you, you get exactly what you paid for. Right. 
and, and it's hard to kind of hold people accountable when they have nothing that they've put in the game. They always say in, in my Masonic Lodge, um, my little office here, I have my Masonic flag up, so it always reminds me to play by those rules. They say um, that, that there are no atheists in Masonry. And, um, and, and I don't want this to be a religious discussion at all. Right. Um, because I don't have a problem with atheists at all. I think they ask some very poignant questions. But in Masonry, there's no atheists allowed admission into the group because they've never given an oath to something beyond themselves, it is the thought. Right. Like they don't have any skin in the game. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And, and so when you ask somebody to take an oath to keep secrets and to keep other people's, um, um, cherished well-being or emotions or whatever in check you want someone who has some skin in the game and uh in in, in, the, in the masonic case the atheists don't and in my case with the mastermind groups people who would just kind of hang around for free you know you get freeze you get what you pay for you know yeah the ones that kind of lurk in the back of the the e room never really <laughs> saying anything they do and you know what the 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 facebook group doesn't have many lurkers so i think it's getting close to six thousand members but there's like almost 5,000 people that are active at some point within 30 days. They make a comment, they like something, they post something. They, uh, so, so everyone for the most part is pretty darn active, which is pretty impressive. Well, you know, and that kind of speaks to why, you know, uh, forward was so successful was it really felt like a family reunion. Like yeah. you, you show up and because people were so active you may not have ever met them, but you recognize the face and you can walk right up to them and say, man, it's so good to see you. And don't go through that awkward, Hey, what's your name? My name's so-and-so. What are you doing here? It's like, man, so great to see. I can't say the number of people that I finally got to meet for the first time at forward, never, you know, having done anything other than converse with them on social media. Yeah. And and from what I understand, and I did not know this, this is all organic to me. Um, The, the FTCA is organic to me. It's just an idea and a feeling I had and I, I made it right. is like there are articles and there are books and now there are network marketers and um, social media marketers and all these other people that talk about building a tribe yeah. and then you like sell stuff to your tribe because they trust you. I'm like, well, I didn't do any of that. The tribe grew around me based on an idea. And the idea is that we want to be better than we were yesterday as a chiropractor and we want to make the profession better than it is and move it forward. And that's basically it. And then all these people showed up and they're like, we agree. (laughs) (laughs) We're tired of it. We're not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then the, the people who, and most of those people in the beginning were just clinicians, not, not that being a clinician is wrong or anything, but they weren't like educators or college presidents or, um, movers and shakers and things like that. Those people started showing up and then I knew something was up. (laughs) And now I think most of the movers and shakers are kind of gone because we don't allow selling or marketing your stuff within the group. Yeah. There's nothing there for them. Yeah. So, so they showed their true colors and they left, but a lot of educators are showing up. A lot of professors, a lot of the college crowd, um, college presidents are in there. Uh, ECU members, members of of uh, Costco in Australia and in the UK are in there, and it's like, whoa! <laughs> and I think they can't the say anything. Yeah. They'll never say anything. But I've met some of them in person at Parker seminars, and I met 
uh, and in private messaging and stuff, they're like, you're, you guys are totally on it. We totally support you. So. And, but that's the unity we should be seeking is, you know, bringing our band of brothers and sisters together to, to, you know, celebrate each other and to celebrate what we're doing as a profession and say, look, I got your back. We're doing this right. Stop questioning yourself and just walk. Yeah. You're not alone. Just do it. Just keep going. Yeah. 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 Um, Besides the family reunion aspect of forward KC, which was not necessarily expected and it wasn't entirely (laughs) planned, but I thought I was hoping that would kind of happen. What else did you think of the event? Was Was the content worth it so say you were stuck in a room let's let's strip things away from you and say yeah. now okay now you're stuck in a room with people you don't know was the content worth it well i'm biased you know <laughs> you, you allowed the me... best lecture was todd riddle dc right exactly you missed out there there, there should have been some serious fomo there but uh, <laughs> but uh you know i think all the way around and you guys have done a great job with this my, my wife obviously uh helped to to put that together so i want to publicly say i'm very proud of what she did yeah, me um, to too. Kind of help bring that to fruition. But um, yeah, I think you brought some people to the table and I really respected the fact that you gave platforms to people that haven't had a platform before. You know, right. uh, I, I've kind of been around the, the block a time or two with teaching. So I still appreciated being being exposed to a group of people that thought like I did, as opposed to me trying to show them the error in their ways, so to speak. Um, yeah. But you said from the very beginning, there won't be any gurus, there won't be any bandstanding, there won't be any, um, you know, people saying this is the best thing out there. You brought people to the stage that just showed up and and did their thing. And I I really enjoyed that. So from a content standpoint, you know, you you can't go wrong with the stuff that that you brought to the table, you know, like how to um, uh, look at imaging better or uh, the gym hybrid model, how to make money from that. Like there, there was a, there was an intertwined theme there about how to make yourself better. And when you get better, the money follows. It wasn't, yeah. Hey, here's how to make a bunch of money and then figure out how to make yourself better. There was a sincere, uh, there, there was a sincere effort there to really make people better knowing that the money will follow as you get better as a person, as a practitioner. So that was really great from, from my standpoint. Uh, yeah, and that was that was the intentional part. Like, uh, I don't know if I said in the previous podcast with the uh, three docs that reviewed the event, but I really, I mean, without your wife, it wouldn't have happened because she is the doer and I'm kind of like an ideas guy. Right. So I, it, not that she doesn't have some amazing ideas on her own. She right. knows what the hell she's doing. I was green to the whole process. And I said, I think I've got this idea of a thing I want to do, but here's how I want to do it. Yeah, she just greases the wheels and then turns into a juggernaut. Yeah, I want I want a lot of bass. So I, don't, I want this song to have a lot of bass and some cowbell, and then we're gonna go from there. More cowbell. <laughs> More cowbell, and then she was like, "Cool, we'll do it this way." Exactly. Um, it, it's now Josh Saturday said we we can't do it again, so we're going to do it again. Exactly. He said, "There's no way you could reproduce that feeling again." Yet, watch me. Got you. Got to or challenge. No, challenge no, accepted. He specifically said after five years, it would just lose its luster. Oh, okay, so watch me. <laughs> exactly. And um, it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, we, we want to, so the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance was always two things. It was always just a loose collection of people who thought in this way, the, the way we've been talking about this whole podcast. Right. 
And then there was always this underbelly of, so what are we going to do about it? Cause you right. can't just sit in a Facebook group and, and complain all the time. And I think we're in that do phase. Um, one of the things that, that you have definitely pointed out and other people have pointed out is we have to address the way that we pursue education outside of college. 100%. Um, uh, you know, when I originally designed Forward KC, I didn't intend it to be anything that involved continuing education at all. Right. I thought people would just be so um, driven to hear the information that they would just show up. And, and that's not true. <laughs> right, right, right. People are like, there's no, there's no CE. I'm not buying a plane ticket. Isn't that the craziest thing? Like, you know? So the information isn't good enough. You're not about, you know, paying some money without getting any um, continuing ed reward at the end of it. The reward is the education you're receiving. Right. right. Got it. And, uh, you know, and I know plenty of people are like, ah, you know, why would I expand my knowledge base? and have to drive or fly somewhere to learn something new when there's like a $99 CE over here at the Marriott and the bars open, you know, poverty mentality, man. And, and those people are everywhere. And I've, I, I know some people that have gone to the same person for the same CE for the last 15 years, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's 79 bucks and the bars open in the back and they can drink while that dude's talking. Definition of insanity right there. And, um, you know, there are a lot of things that need to be changed in the CE world. And I'm going to put some thought into what we talked about off the air. Um, And I, I think I've established some ways that we can approach that. So the new makeup of the, for the old makeup of the FTCA was Bobby. What's what Bobby says goes, Mm -hmm. Bobby has this iron fist. And if he doesn't like what you're saying, you're out. You know, because I think in order to cultivate a tribe, you do need some strict sort of, you know, you've got to mold it. Definitely needs to be structure. Yeah. One, one person trims the Christmas tree and it'll it'll look good. But if 20 people trim that tree, it's going to be 20 different versions of what a totally. Christmas tree should look like. Absolutely agree. And I know what you weed smokers are thinking out there too. <laughs> just, they trim. Um, but so so I've established these committees. You know, there's different committees for different, different um objectives and, and, and five of them are, are action committees. So there's like a business and marketing committee and they are going to produce FTCA appropriate business and marketing content. Like this is how a forward thinking Cairo should or could market their practice or operate their business. And then there's a research committee and a critical thinking committee. Since we've said that 20 times already, now, you know, critical thinking is a very important tenant to what we're doing and a political action committee. And, does that mean like the political action committee is going to be, are we going to be competing with the ACA? No, but maybe we might find ways to show people how they can contribute to their local politics or to take action to support national politics or international and all that stuff. Does the research committee conduct research? No, but they might give the members reviews of relevant research or uh, the critical thinking committee is not going to tell you how to think, but they might give you resources for how to be a, a better digester of information. Right. Um, and I think the best practices committee is the one where this falls into where the best practices committee can start to advise the members on these are the best ways to sort of go about what we do. Right. 
And if you were to pursue continuing education in this profession, these are probably the best ways to be a good consumer of that product. Uh, because it is a product, or like you said, it's an industry. Mm-hmm. And all it, uh, the learner report go way back to the 1960s when um, this guy learner, I, f- I forgot his first name, was hired. He's an attorney. He's hired to review the chiropractic profession and say, even in the 1960s, is there any way to save our public image uh, in chiropractic? And he went through the whole history of chiropractic and he went, he tried to interview BJ and BJ blew him off a bunch of times. And then he, he, he inherited these wild ideas of what BJ was. He thought uh, BJ Palmer had multiple personalities and was just playing a bunch of roles, but we won't go there. But uh, cause learners report was never actually published. But one of his conclusions was there's a secret to the chiropractic profession. We've talked about it on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. The secret to chiropractic is you, in, in his time, you can make five bucks treating a patient or you can make 500 teaching other chiropractors how to treat their patients. That's right. And so um, in this world where uh, side hustle is almost imperative to survival financially, a lot of people are getting into the CE side hustle. Well, and, and it, what, what, crap. <laughs> yeah, and, and see, that's the dangerous part we're dealing with here is that <clears throat> I think people coming out of school feel like they have to go get the CE because, uh, and, and I'm using my own words, to some extent, I feel like maybe they got let down that they didn't learn enough. And it may be just be the story that they told themselves, but, and it may not necessarily be the case. No, it's the people giving them free, free pizza off campus telling them that they don't know enough and they're going to fail and their schools didn't serve them well. And unless they take their course, they're going to continue to fail or they're going to be failures. But it's I, the, you know, it's the free pizza crowd. <laughs> but I think we could nip that in the bud. And this is not directed at any one school. I feel like our schools could probably use a little bit better support. So when you know when we're talking about committees, committees underneath the FTCA, there probably should be a, a subset or a subcommittee that um, is comprised of all the education professionals you have in the group because. You know, I, I personally feel like if we want to steer this profession, it starts at the grassroots and that's at the school level. And some of them are doing it really well. Some of them, I think, could probably step up their game a little bit. But the ones that are doing it really well are trying to institute programs or even residencies to continue the education after the formal training has gone away. And then the actual hands-on training, you know, goes into place. And this is kind of a personal thing for me, uh, dealing in the sports world a lot. You know, there's a lot of students coming through school that say they want to be a sports chiropractor, but never played a sport or have never been on a sideline or never spent, you know, dozens of weekends doing free work just to say that they're a sports chiro. So, again, I I think if we get them as they're going through that process, we turn out a better product. Yeah, don't don't get me started on the students that want to be sports chiros. That was like all of, that was all of Western States. Like everybody wanted to deal with athletes. Yeah. And they still do. And I I personally, again, it's, it's my bias. I think sports Cairo is doing a really great job of propping up the profession right now, but I don't know that people fully understand what that means. Are you a guy that, you know, or a guy or a gal that just adjusts athletes or are you actually somebody that's on the sidelines in the mud, in the grass, on the court with that person, you know, seeing them all the way through. And there's a big difference. I don't, I don't think, um, from my personal opinion, I don't think the students know the difference. I think they make the decision based on, uh, like maybe athletes have more money. They're more cool to treat. It's cooler. Yeah. 
it, it's more sexy for a lack of better words. The, <laughs> That's the, exactly the patients right. aren't as complicated. Um, it's a better name. You know, you've also got a subset of students that all want to work in integrative clinics too. Yeah. And they all want to be integrated. What's the research on integrated clinics? Does anyone know? I do. Most of them fail in four years. Most of them are integrative. I I N O integrative in name only. Yes. They've got a bunch of practitioners in one building that never ever talk to each other. They're just all in one building under the integrative name. That's exactly right. Because I still I still see a ton of value in a truly integrative clinic exactly. where people are actually working together. But if they're you know I N N O, um, then it it doesn't work. There's no communication there. It's pretty. It's a bad outcome for the patient. The patients, uh, just like Don Murphy identified in uh, the CRIS protocols in the first book, the low back book. The big problem with treating low back pain is that you have a supermarket approach. You know, someone has low back pain, they might go to the Cairo, they might go to the PT, they might try uh, uh, the Shaquille O'Neal patches on their back. <laughs> they, they might, yeah, they might do some acupuncture. They might just stretch. You know shoot someone puts out a blog that crossfit helps with back pain they're in the crossfit clinic that weekend or the crossfit gym that weekend you know it's like a suit they'll just try whatever because there's no definitive expert on the low back even though there's definitely some professions that can compete for that right when when these patients walk into an integrative clinic they come in with a problem and then the clinic is like okay well we'll have you maybe you can see the md or maybe the chiro or we'll try some massage for your problem, or maybe we'll do some of the nutritional stuff. I mean, I've worked in integrative clinics of all types and, um, and I've seen the patients just float around and then they float exactly. and they float and then they disappear. Well, I tried that place. It didn't work. You know, as, as opposed to that, they show up and go, Oh yeah, back pain. All right. You're going to go over here to see, let's say the Cairo first. Yeah. You're going to get a complete workup from a nurse practitioner. The MD in, or DO introduces themselves. You get a complete workup from the nurse practitioner. The nurse practitioner recommends a treatment plan uh, based on whatever their protocol is. You go through that treatment plan and then on the way out, you get reassessed by the nurse practitioner and the DO says, we need to do more or we need to do something different. Mm-hmm. You're good to go. It's triage. It's still assessment in the military. It's triage. You have a nurse, like when there's a, a military um, or a, a health emergency. So say like when I was in the air force in the Midwest, we practice a lot of triage for what happens if a tornado rips through town, like say in North Texas, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so what happens? There's a nurse at the front door of the ER and every patient that's brought up on a gurney, that nurse or that team of nurses makes a decision as this person severely acute is this person mildly acute can this person sit around for a couple hours and wait to be treated or is this person just done yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) you know and then they triage through there and then everything goes to that first nurse and then the doctors can make their clinical decisions after Mm -hmm. that and and the doctors do have the right to say no no that person is not done i can save them or you know you see that on tv all the time no i can save them you know and, and that kind of stuff and you know everyone misses diagnosis. There's someone waiting in the ER for two hours and they were actually bleeding out the whole time and all that stuff. But <laughs> the triage portion is what sets up the whole integrative process. Right. Like in, 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 a, in a family practice scenario, you might have a nurse or a nurse practitioner do a triage and be like, oh, you have low back pain? Well, based on the, the guidelines and the paradigms that are set in the way that we do things in this office, your first place should be the chiropractor. And that patient would be like, the what? You're like, yep, that's the best place for you to be. 
okay. <laughs> and then you go. Or the best place for you to be first off is we, you know, you look like these, this is diabetic neuropathy. We need to get you over to the MD instead mm-hmm. or, or so on and so forth. So a good diagnostician at the door of an, of multi multidisciplinary practice is probably a good hallmark that you're actually in a true multidisciplinary practice. Right. Now, if you're not in one and you're trying to play one on your own, you still have to be the good diagnostician at the door. <laughs> now, now you're the person. <laughs> and then you change your hat and then you become the treating person. And then you change your hat and you become the discharge person and so on and so forth. Right. And if you don't have more than one hat hanging on your wall, you're not doing it. You're not doing it right. <laughs> um, do you have anything else to say? I wish you didn't live so far away. Like we would be friends. We'd be barbecuing. I, you know, it's funny. I told Jess that same thing. Like <laughs> we'd be talking about what it's like to be a father of tons of kids. Yeah, exactly. And you'd be like, no, no, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. We could bring our armies together. <laughs> this one said that, yeah, we've got like a little soccer team going. <laughs> yeah. We, we, um, we would have enough for at least a baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> um, I admire what you're doing, trying to I turn things around. You are not just showing up to this profession. You're actually putting something into it. I am participating. And uh, leading by example, you were a consummate professional on the podcast today. Thank you. You didn't nearly cuss as much as I would cussed, which shows how much better you are than me. Um, I'm sure my I, kids will hear this at some <laughs> point. <so. laughs> and uh, um, I enjoyed the factor course myself. Thank you. Um, even if it was... No, for my background, I am, I am who you, I'm who you think people should be. I only used what I learned in school for many years and Mm -hmm. never took an additional course. I mean, I would, I had been stripped down and my rehab protocols were like a stick and a kettlebell. Okay. Maybe a band. (laughs) And there was a park next door to the office and there, the neighborhood got used to seeing people walking up to the park with the kettlebell and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and all this stuff. And, um, then eventually I felt that feeling in my stomach and then I had to add other things. I had to learn the SFMA. I had to learn all this other stuff, but still going through factor, not only was it somewhat of a review of what I had sort of just figured out on my own, but then there was all the other stuff that made, made it even better. It made me expand what I knew. So um, I would say all students at some level, if you're doing any sort of instrument, soft tissue, rehab, all that stuff, Factor kind of goes on the list of one of the ones you got to do. Thank you. It's affordable. It's easy to learn. It's not complicated. You don't have to do a thousand different levels. Um, you know, it's got a bunch of different letters in Factor. F A K T R. That's it. Yep. So you, when you put all your initials on your on your business card, <laughs> it looks even longer. As exactly. I know you, you kids love to put all the initials on the back. Collect your um, alphabet. Uh, uh, but so, yeah, so I highly recommend the course. Um, I know there's other things coming out for you guys and, um, and there's a lot of stuff coming out for us, me and your wife, Jessica, have a bunch of stuff to announce soon too. So I look forward to that. I'm really excited about that. Um, anything to say for the listeners? You don't have anything to say to me. No, I mean, no, we'll, we'll just have to circle back around and and do another podcast at some other time. Oh no, no doubt. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, no doubt. Yeah. We're, I'm going to process some of the things you told me and then see if we can uh, implement some of that stuff. And then we'll do another podcast because I know for a fact that when people listen to this, they're going to be like, that was one of the best podcasts ever I appreciate in that. the history of stuff.
I, I hope that to be true. I hope we added some value to people's lives here. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and I and we'll play a drinking game for every time I said um, you guys had to drink. So go ahead and listen to this again. Oh, that's that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> because that's I um the hell idea. out of this podcast. <laughs> uh, All right, my friend. Um, once again, drink. I miss you. I'll see you. I miss you too, Schnookums. <laughs> and I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Thanks. All right, bye.